This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for October 13th, 2020. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels, and I'm very glad you're here. Today, my guest is Oscar Stolbeich, or, you know, more at my level of hopeless Americanity, Oscar Stahlberg. I, I tried, man. I really did. Uh, you'll notice, by the way, I only ever make this joke about, like, how hard names are to pronounce with white European names. Lest I be too subtle, <laughs> that's not an accident. It's a running gag. It's also something I'm genuinely a bit bad at. Anyway, Oscar is here to talk about his wonderful town-building toy thing, Townscaper. Uh, it's a truly, truly beautiful creation. It's not a proper game, in his words. Uh, it's something a bit different. We talk a little bit about the intent behind that, the appeal of that, as well as his work on previous, more obviously gamey games like Bad North and Night Call. Okay, really quick before we get to the conversation with Oscar, if you are in the U.S., and I know a bunch of you aren't, but I know a bunch of you are, if you're in the U.S., vote. And frankly, vote for Joe Biden. Now, perhaps you bristle at my being quite that blunt, speaking of not being subtle as we were a moment ago. That's against the rules. You're, you're supposed to pretend that politics, or at least partisan politics, don't exist in the space of a video games podcast. Failing that, you're at least supposed to be too cool for school, take the position that it's all bullshit anyway, or it doesn't matter, or be coy about what you really think. I don't really want to do any of that. I've never been especially closed-mouthed about my views on things. I never want you to ascribe what I'm saying to what the guests are saying. That's that's very different. They may think different things than me. Some of them definitely do. But I have never been subtle about where I stand. And I do sort of think of this show as an implicit argument about the importance of a connected world. You know, and if, if hearing from all these different people, hearing their different perspectives, thinking about the moment the world is in right now, if that is not implicitly argued to you that nationalism and fascism are on the rise and they're a threat to everything worthwhile in life, if that has not also argued to you that people like Trump and his administration are proffering fascism, if I have not made that argument to you implicitly, successfully, then I would like to try and make it more successfully by being explicit. So, if you're in the U.S., vote, and vote for Joe Biden. And if you are among the folks who bristle at my saying that, then please do not at anybody else on the show email me, Drew, the person talking, at don'tbeasucker at etao.blog. That's don'tbeasucker at etao.blog. I've set that inbox up for this purpose. Okay, that being said, the meat of this episode is indeed a conversation with Oscar Stahlberg, so let's get to that. Minor sound quality warning, those of you who use these shows as a form of ASMR, there will be some desk tappy sounds and there will be a bit of Bowie barking toward the end, but there will also be a lovely conversation. So, enjoy. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it a whole lot. Um, you've made something really beautiful and that is that is very much unlike the other things. 
Uh, so maybe the right place to start is in the simplest possible place, and we'll, we'll branch out from there. What is Townscaper? Um, I mean, Townscaper is basically a polished tech demo. Um, <laughs> it's a very humble way of putting it, but I see what you mean. Yeah, it's uh, it. I mean, it's a tool. I call it a toy because it's not really a tool and it's not really a game. It's somewhere in between uh, where you build towns. Uh, you just place down colored blocks and it automatically turns into nice looking towns. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I, I know what you mean when you say it's not quite a tool and not quite a game, because on the one hand, it um, in spirit, it's probably quite a bit like things development teams make for each other, you know, in order yeah. to craft air, it's a lot slicker probably than those would be. Yes. And it like, whereas those tools tend to trade, rob, you know, they, they trade in some slickness for some robustness. This is sort of the opposite. It's extremely simple and intuitive and slick. And what you trade in is you don't always know exactly what's going to happen when you place a block. There's, there's some yeah. procedural generation to make exactly. some those decisions for you yeah and tools also need a lot more um, uh, customizability and control for the user uh, right so times townscape where you click around and buildings appear and they get little nice features on them obviously if this was a professional tool you'd have to have some kind of way of deciding where those features appear and remove them and move them around and stuff like that uh, which is not something that townscaper has so that's um, I like I think my skill set would work quite well to make tools, but I don't really like making tools for other people because like you spend a small amount of time making the fun part and the algorithm and making things look nice. And then you spend a very large amount of time like writing error messages and like writing guides and documentations <laughs> and stuff like that, which is not very sure. fun. And if you publish it to um, um, something like the Unity Asset Store, then you like get weird emails from people who want support and wanted to work with weird things on weird platforms and stuff like that. So I felt like publishing it, making it into a game instead was like, I could make it as simple as I wanted to make it and I didn't have to make it customizable. And then I get players instead of users that pay, uh, like I get a lot of people that play a small, pay a small amount of money instead of few people that play a a large amount of money. Yeah, and it's. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you you didn't really start out the project. At least I I think from watching you on Twitter, didn't really start it out thinking it was neither toy nor game or not neither toy another get neither game nor tool I should say, but rather toy. I think yeah. you sort of you were making this cool thing and you thought. I'll figure out what the tool is useful for or where the game is along the way. And maybe somewhere along the way, maybe even after putting it out in early access, only then maybe started to think, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is enough of a thing on its own. Yeah. Well, I, I think I had a pretty good picture of what I was making from the beginning, because this is kind of the culmination of a lot of uh, some different projects I've done, because I've done little toys like this before that I've just put up free on the web. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of knew that there was an appeal to them. Uh, people like playing with those. Um, but this time I figured, okay, but let's, like I had some money for Bad North, so I didn't have need for like new income immediately. And I had some things I wanted to explore. And I wanted to make, I also wanted to make a small project uh, because I was just going to have a, a child and I wanted to have something where that I could work on just by myself. So I didn't have any obligations to anyone else. And so that I would be, um yeah flexible when the child came basically something small um so yeah so i had i had a pretty good idea of what this was gonna 
B, I think, just because I've, I had done some similar things before. And, um, but I, and I didn't really care if it was going to be very successful or not. I knew it was going to have some appeal, but, uh, um, yeah, but, but, it, but a lot of it was also just to explore a bunch of different algorithms and to see like if it was possible to build the thing I've been wanting to build for some time. Because if you look at uh, uh, Bad North, the last game I made, actually the very, very early um, sort of prototyping for Bad North, before I knew what it was going to be, when it also just started as a procedural environment generator. And that one actually looks very similar to the way Townscaper ended up being. So it was also like colorful towns, which so it's like colorful towns is something I just always wanted to build, but then I didn't figure out how to make a game out of it for Bad North. So I made it a violent biking game instead. <laughs> uh, and then this time around, I was like, okay, but what if it doesn't have to be a game? Then I get to finally get to make my colorful towns. Yeah, and I, it's not as though uh, I don't get the impression that you're uninterested in combat mechanics or or, or oh, no. gamier games, right? Yeah. I mean, Bad North is very consummate with that stuff. You've talked before just about little things that game does with like figuring out a really interesting pikeman class, which a lot of <laughs> yes. games in that genre don't really do. No, it's um, hard. I understand why people don't do it. Like almost no games have good spear mechanics. Like Total War has kind of decent spear mechanics, but if you zoom in, it looks pretty silly in Total War as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, because in terms of like what what they're actually poking or not able to poke, there's actually a ton of rules. It's a lot. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's really yeah. hard. It's really hard. Yeah, swords are easy. You just kind of switch them around. Uh, but pikes, they need to. <laughs> they have weight to them. They're very long, so it's very noticeable in what direction they're pointing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is officially a little bit of a side street, but it, but yeah. it's like with swords. I mean, what what is really happening under the hood with a lot of um, you know, strategy game combat is that the the enemies are swinging their attacks at each other, and there's a percent chance that one of them. Can the other right so like yeah. just kind of waving swords at each other is a pretty good visual representation of that but with with yeah. a with a pike or a spear there's there's this expectation that i don't know that it's tactile and that every poke matters and and, and in, in bad north they really do right like if you catch someone right at the shore you can knock them in with the spear or something like that yeah so yeah. it's and it, yeah it, and it looks really bad in games like because there's a bunch of like third uh third person like mountain blade for example or there are a couple of, and there are some like medieval combat games that are recently where people have spears and it just looks silly. Like they, when the units turn around quickly and just kind of jitter about in their animations, you, the spears just like flying around, like it's not weighing anything. <laughs> sure. You're making it harder on yourself by making that one of the sort of core classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is like, it is one of the definite core, um, weapons used in like all of the, well, like until gunpowder, basically, like right. Spears has always been a very big deal. And they're quite underrepresented in games, uh, I think, partly because they are so hard to, uh, uh, to, to animate and also to control for the player. Um, but that's sort of the common denominator. Like you said, you know, Townscaper started out as an exercise in making all these different algorithms work. Like, I think I, I get the impression that you as a developer, you get some kind of technical challenge or some sort of, you know, why isn't there more of this in games in your head and then sort of set about trying to make it real. Is that fair to say? Oh, yes, that, that's very fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like my projects to be driven from from a sort. Yeah. I, I come up with a, a couple of like interesting technical challenges. Um, yeah. So for, for Townscaper, that was... Uh, yeah, seeing if I could do this project on a I like colorful towns on an and do it on an organic grid was something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Like, because uh, there's some there's some interesting things there where it 
like a lot of games obviously take place on regular square grids because uh, it's very like if you do modular um, modular tiles, like you build little pieces of the environment and they're square and then you fit them all together and then you get a big environment. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And that's like a lot of architecture obviously is filled with right angles. So it makes a lot of sense to use like square tiles to build architecture. Uh, but obviously that's not what towns look like. That's not what nice old European towns look like anyway. They have curvy streets and uh, the houses look a bit wonky. Uh, <laughs> But there's, they still kind of have right-ish angles. So I wanted to see, okay, can I combine these? Um, can I combine like a right-angled square tile approach with a more organic grid to make towns that look like architecture, but still uh, like quite organic and also make them in the kind of old European way where the houses are like butting up right against each other. Because I don't like it when the houses are all spread out and they're just sitting in the middle of longs basically i like them to butt up right against each other and be right on the street and stuff yeah like no it's, it's quite beautiful that way and i mean and that's that's the thing is um two things i suppose for one thing uh it's it is beautiful and it has that very you know medieval town aesthetic uh and the, the game will always you know find a way to fit things in whether it means there's a house on stilts or this becomes a tower or there's a balcony um and as a result of that the second thing would be it becomes a really beautiful illustration of how procedural generation actually works. I think maybe people who aren't developers think of it as you press a button and magically you get Spelunky or something, right? When it, it doesn't really work that way, it's it's really sort of a, a dialogue between the person using the tool or the player playing the game and the developer and the tool that's been built. And I think Townscaper makes that visible in a way that a lot of, like, there's, there's clearly procedural generation on the islands in Bad North, but that sort yeah. of happens at the top of the campaign and you're not interacting with it directly. So you don't get to see, you know, what the, the like, there are clearly rules for, okay, what happens if a, if a, if a, a building abuts a, cliffside or something like that you don't get to interact directly with those rules with townscaper to a certain degree that's the interaction is like well if i you know early on I, I was making this long thin building on stilts and at some point i did something that made the algorithm decide it was actually like a huge like a raised road and that wasn't what i intended at all and i was like this is actually really cool i'm now going to make a town that's like about having these giant you know raised not especially safe you know or up to code roads because they just look really cool yeah. um yeah, I think that's what's sort of interesting about it, right? It takes all this stuff that's always happening with procedural generation, but that usually is hidden behind the curtain to, to yeah. a casual user. Yeah, and I, th I think there's great validity in both those approaches because I think, like, as a, uh, in Bad North, like, as a developer, as a sort of craft person, I obviously want to make something that feels like uh, nicely packaged where like I can't really excuse myself in saying that, oh, that's a bad level. Well, it's the procedural generation. And uh, right. I mean, there's still a bit of that, of course, but um, uh, like I want, I want it to be as good as if it was designed, right? Um, but with, um, I mean, I d yeah, but with um, uh, Townscaper, yeah, that's part of the fun. And also there's, like, the, like a lot of the kind of requests I get from people is like they want to have more control over where does the roof appear? Where does the, where does it turn into like a, a, a paved terrace or uh, making gardens that are not fully enclosed and stuff like that. But, but those are kind of, um, those rules are very implied by like the, um, the way the, it works technically. Like I have to build a ton of pieces to 
make it all work. And if you would be able to have like a garden anywhere, I would need to create hundreds and thousands of more pieces. And so it's a way of like having these rules, but trying to make them somewhat make sense is also a way for me to kind of cope with the, um, um, com yeah, all the sort of the combinatorial complexity of the, of the algorithm. And, and mm -hmm. that's also something that of course wouldn't really be acceptable if this was a tool instead of a, a toy. So now like part of the fun is yeah, discovering what kind of quirks does this algorithm have. Right. And one of the sort of game design challenges for me is then like trying to, because these rules are all just implied by what the little pieces that like what the puzzle pieces I build look like. So as a game designer, the challenge is then to try and imply rules that feel like they make some kind of sense. Um, so you kind of know what, how to build to get a stair after a while, and you kind of know how to build to get a garden or to get an arch or to get the metal stilts. Yeah, it wouldn't be as interesting if it felt truly random, right? If it were just really, because we, we haven't quite said that the interface is extremely simple, right? You pick a color, you click somewhere, and it places a block there. And which blocks are next to it or under it or on top of it or what have you, uh, or whether there's nothing there, sort of determines what you get. And you, to your point, you can absolutely figure out what you're going to get. It's not a complete black box. It doesn't feel random. It's, it's pretty consistent. But there are... You know, it's it's not chaotic, but it is wonky in the same way those European city layouts are wonky. It's got aesthetic preferences, and that's that's part of what makes it so simple to use. It's also sort of part of what you what your brain likes about it, I suppose is the best way I can think to say it, right? Like like the fact that it isn't just a complete blank canvas, but that it is this toolbox that privileges an aesthetic that I, I find very easy to fall into is part of the beauty of the thing, right? Like, it, it doesn't claim to be, as you're saying, a tool that lets you build any kind of town. It assumes that it's sort of, like, you're always sort of building Amsterdam <laughs> or, or, uh, or or Venice, maybe, or something. They're always they're yeah. always watery. They're always a bit medieval. Um, yeah. and, I'm thinking, I'm thinking and that's, that's sort of baked in, yeah. right? Yeah, Copenhagen is one of my bigger inspirations. Copenhagen, for sure. I've not, yeah, I've, that yeah. wasn't my first reference because I haven't been to Copenhagen, but that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's slightly less... Uh, I mean, a lot of old European cities look like this. Scandinavian cities tend to be more um, quite colorful, I think, partly because the weather is quite dull, so you need some color from the uh, <laughs> sure. from the buildings. Uh, but And also slightly less ornate. Um, a lot of the more northern German or stuff like that, it's it, like a lot of the architecture is quite similar, but it's, it's usually more ornate. There are more details and decorations where Scandinavian tend to be a bit more subtle and toned out, which I felt worked better because it gets a little bit less cluttered uh, when you mm -hmm. zoom out. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, one idea with Townscape, Townscaper and with other similar toys I built before is I want, like, whatever you do as a user, it should kind of look beautiful. Uh, so it's a bit like, it's a bit like, normally when you play games, like when you play an action game, for example, you're supposed to feel like you are super powerful and a good game design is supposed to kind of make you feel like it's supposed to deliver enemies that seem smart, but you manage to kill them. <laughs> if you deliver sure. actual smart enemies, like they'll kill you and it's no fun. And a good puzzle game is supposed to make you feel smart for figuring out the puzzles, um, even though it's the puzzles that are well designed and give you hints without like showing you that they're giving you hints without you realizing it. 
uh, like a game like Portal, for example, you feel super clever when you solve the puzzles in Portal, but it's not you that's clever. It's the game designers who designed the puzzles <laughs> sure. that are clever. Particularly yeah. in Portal 2, where there's almost always like a, like a light source shining on the, the, the solution to the puzzle or something. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. it's fairly subtle, but it is directing yeah, yeah. you toward the solution, yeah. Yes, yeah. So that's a similar thing I want to do with Townscaper, where like... Uh, However you build, it's supposed to look beautiful, and you're supposed to feel like a wonderful uh, architecture and artist for for building that thing. Uh, and obviously, that's also like a bit of a marketing thing because I want all screenshots of Townscaper to look good, so that whenever people search for images of Townscaper, look on Steam uh, for screenshots of Townscaper, I want it all to look good, so that people want to play the game and build things themselves. It is stunningly screenshotable, especially uh, after this most recent update, which allows you to mess around with lighting, yep. uh, time of day, sun placement. Uh, the, the first time I, you know, I made it nighttime and <laughs> all of the lights went on in the town. I almost feel like that's a spoiler because it was such a cool yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but it's yeah, it's, it's it's intensely beautiful. Yeah, I also with the screenshotting tool I made, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm, I'm cropping it in quite a bit from the sides. Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of taking a picture of the middle of the screen because I know it's from all the screenshots that people were uh, already putting on Twitter before. Um, th they were always cropping too wide. So there was too much water and then just a small town in the middle because that's kind of how you play the game, but it doesn't look as good on like social media. Uh, so therefore I deliberately made it like you can still see the, see the frame. So you know how the cropping is going to be. Um, but sort of, if you're not thinking about it, it's going to crop it closer than you want to, you were going to crop otherwise. So that the right. screenshots you take will look better. It's the same design philosophy in, in a way as the, the building itself, right? You're, you're yeah. not in absolute control, but the rules are consistent, right? You can, the first yes. time you do it, you're like, oh, it cropped it. This, you know, this isn't, this isn't my phone in landscape mode. This is Instagram <laughs> or something. Exactly. Uh, yeah. but, but once you know that, then you can, you know, frame the shot correctly and you're right. You get, you get these much more dense shots where the cities sort of seem to go on forever in the way that a, a, you know, a European, you know, quasi medieval city, especially one you're not familiar with can seem to, as opposed to them all looking like island nations like you know like more urban bad north islands or something which they can when you're playing yeah yeah so so let's go back and talk a little bit about how the wonk is achieved right so so yeah. the game is on a grid but as you said it's not like a perfectly square grid am i would it be correct to say that the the the, the blocks are the four-sided objects but not squares is that sort of part of the secret sauce um, yes, yes, it's quite uh, technical, but yeah, on like if you turn on the grid in the game, you'll see that all of the grid uh, squares you see are, yeah, they're made of quads, so they have four corners, but they have wonky shapes, so they fit together in a topology that, that, that's not like a normal grid topology. Um, but the blocks that you're like placing, interacting with, uh, they're not square, but they're, um, so right, if you build a small house, in the game, it's actually made out of like there's one piece for each corner of the house. So this the smallest house you build is made from eight little pieces, one for each corner, and those all sit on the well. If it's if, if it's a square house, whereas if you if you put it on a on a if it's a triangular house, it's made out of six corners, so three upper corners and three lower corners. So yeah, the, there's like a very important technical aspect of making this whole game work was figuring out how to make grids that are made from quads, so four-sided polygons, but that fit together in a non-standard way, because that means that I can then build square tiles in Maya and like build little 3D meshes, and then I can just kind of squeeze them to make them fit on the, on the weird grid. 
kind of pull their corners until they fit. Which is sort of a really clever way of simulating that 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 dense medieval city kind of feel, right? Because that's that's more or less how they are smashed together, right? Like there's there's we know what this building needs to be and where it needs to fit, and then we'll just sort of make it fit, even though the the yeah. the spacing is not precisely regularized. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of how they fit together. There are some kinds of shapes that you would normally see in uh, medieval cities that, that that you don't really see here, and there are also some weirdness too. Like if you build a a uh, hexagonal house, for example, it will have like concave uh, sides to it, which doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of a, a consequence of, of, of this approach. But but what's good about this approach is that it can be wonky, but it's still made out of square pieces in the end. And I actually prototyped this kind of approach where uh, I made the, um, I don't know if you've seen the game uh, Night Call. It's a game where you Basically, you're a taxi driver. It's a dialogue game, basically, but you are a taxi driver driving in Paris, and they just needed like an image of Paris swooshing for B outside the windows, and they needed it to fit the prop. They didn't need it to look perfect, but they needed the streets to fit uh, with the actual map of Paris, so that like when the turns happen, it's like you're not driving through a house. Uh, and I so uh, they asked me for help to like make the buildings less swoosh by in the background. And that, that's, that, that was my first attempt to, to prototype this technique of like taking an irregular shape, dividing it into little squares and then filling those squares with building tiles uh, that then can end up having quite strange uh, shapes. Um, and that, those, so I kind of I had Townscaper at the back of my mind when I, when I did that project, but I felt like, okay, this is actually a great opportunity to prototype this, this particular little approach to it. And it worked out super well. Um, the buildings are a lot wonkier in that game, but since you only see them from the street level, you don't really notice it. You notice more the wonkiness when you look at this from above. But in Townscaper, since I'm not constrained by like an actual map of Paris, um, I can kind of decide a bit more how I, I can design the grid a bit more freeform and like make sure it's not as uh, wonky. Basically make sure it's as little wonky as it can be with the strange topology that I give it. Sure, 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 sure. So, so. Townscaper ends up being sort of a combination of your work in Nightcall and I guess the, the the previous toy that you've put out that's that that in my mind is the most like Townscaper would be uh, is it called Brick Block? Yes, Brick Block. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which which is a bit more. It feels anyway. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it feels a little bit more square as opposed to yes. irregular quad. Yeah, it's completely square. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. very they're very similar. I mean, Townscaper is basically Brick Block too. Um, <laughs> sure, super but there's, but there's also Townscaper is running a much more advanced algorithm, which lets me have a bunch of different features that I couldn't have in BrickBlock. Like BrickBlock only has one type of roof, for example, because mm. the pieces actually don't really know how they fit together in BrickBlock. There's no, like I'm not making sure that one roof tile fits next to another roof tile, apart from the fact that all roof tiles fit with all roof tiles. Whereas in Townscaper, there's a smart system underneath that that like makes sure everything actually fits perfectly together. Um, also, if you that, there's an interesting design aspect with BrickBlock 2 uh, versus Townscaper is that um, brick block is very small, the, the things you're allowed to build there. I think it's uh, seven by seven or nine by nine or something like that. And the reason for that is that when you build something tile-based, if you make it too big, you start to really notice the repetition and it doesn't look as good anymore. And with brick block, because it can't have that kind of variation in rooftops and, and, and different colors and, and it's a straight grid, I felt like that was a good size where everything you build looks good. But if you start building larger than that, then it starts to look too repetitive and blocky. 
Whereas in Townscaper, of course, um, I do have like a bunch of, yeah, I do have the, the curvy streets and I have uh, a bunch of different larger features that are larger than an individual block, um, like the bigger rooftops and stuff like that, and the metal supports and, and stuff like that. So I, I felt like I could make the towns in Townscape are much bigger than in brick block just because you have more kinds of patterns and features that are larger that start to appear. As you're, as you're first playing Townscaper, there's this wonderful sense of surprise when you yeah. when you realize it's possible to make a balcony or you realize that the houses will be on stilts if you want them to be or, or something like that. Uh, that is, I think, a huge part. And then obviously, you know, as you become as you become elite townscape player, uh, figuring out how to make those things work for you, creating sort of like like, you know, round or floating or or, or tiered. Uh, I've seen some people's towns that sort of look like wedding cakes, right? Yeah. Um, realizing what the possibilities are. There's there's sort of a bigger possibility space, for yeah. lack of a better term, like a much bigger one in townscaper than there is in, in brick block. Oh, um, oh, much better. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I'm so I'm so happy that I mean, people are playing Townscaper for like way longer than I thought they would. I figured I mean, because the, the price point is really low uh, on it. I figured people would be like, play for like, well, maybe an hour or two hours or something like that. And they'd be like, oh, that's neat. Like maybe show a friend a screenshot of what they built and then kind of be done with it. But some people are putting like a lot of hours into it and building very, very large things. Um, like, for example, the the, there's there's a limit to the size you're allowed to build in Townscaper. Um, you can build like anywhere on the grid you want, but wherever you start building, there's like a bounding box that limits how big you could make. And the way I did that is I kind of built the biggest thing that I wanted to build. And then I'm like, okay, let's double that size and that's, let's make that the limit. Um, and that should be enough for anyone. But people, like very soon after the game was released, people was were complaining that this, it's too small and they want to build bigger than that. And like you have to, you have to, I mean, because you just, you place one block every time you click the button. So people who fill the grid, oh my God, they, they press their mouse a lot of times. Like their fingers must be quite sore. <laughs> Do you know off the top of your head how big the, the current biggest is? Like, like, you know, what by what? Um, yeah. yeah, but it won't tell you much. It's 256 by 256 something but that doesn't really tell you much because the tiles don't appear at regular intervals got because, it yeah that makes sense yeah, that makes sense. yeah. <laughs> because the grid is has this weird topology um it's kind of like it doesn't have a like you can't really measure it that kind of way right right yeah but in somewhere in the weird structure underlying it all it is 256 i think <laughs> Given that weird topology, is this is this sort of built on brick block under under the hood, or did you sort of like take what you learned on that and then then begin fresh? Because uh, be, since there is such different stuff happening here, yeah, no, there's nothing, there's no like code from brick block in this. I mean, honestly, brick block was I was that, that's one of the first projects I ever wrote in C sharp. I had to go back and um, uh, like fix some things just because some things happened in the in, in the browsers a while back. And oh my God, that code was like, you could really tell this was like my first C-sharp project. The code was really, <laughs> really bad. Uh, no, no, so it's all written from scratch. I, I, I generally tend to like to write things from scratch um, because kind of the second time you write something, you write it better and you kind of refresh your memory of how everything works and you don't have a as much legacy of like bad previous decisions. So every time you write something, it becomes a bit better. Um, Cause it's like Townscaper is basically running the same algorithm as Bad North is running, 
or partly. I mean, it's running a combination of the algorithm and the algorithm that BrickBlock is running. Um, but I didn't copy it from Bad North either because I felt like, well, if I if I write it one more time, it's probably going to be even better the next time I write it. Um, hope hopefully as I become hopefully as I become a better programmer, my code will be more reusable. And but now I feel like I'm I'm still kind of improving at a rate where it it doesn't feel a lot of the stuff doesn't feel worth reusing. It's better to just write new stuff because it's going to be way better the next time I write it anyway. I spoke to uh, Time and Tio of uh, of uh, Sock Pop earlier this year, and mm. he said something really similar. Which we like, you would think that for anybody who's not familiar, they make games quite quickly. They they put out yeah. a, a game, a small game, every two weeks, and. You know, I, I asked about sort of like, are they creating a library of reusable assets, which would, you know, make sense on one level for them because they have a house style and, you know, like they, they do work in the same genre sometimes. But he said something very similar to what you're saying, which is which is no, right? Like specifically because it's made so quickly, it's usually not very reusable. What they reuse is experience. You know, when you do something the second time, the third time, the fifth time, you get better at it. Um, and I, I totally see the appeal of wanting things to be reusable. It makes obvious sense from a pipeline perspective. But I think there is something to be said for that. Just sort of you end up creating something new and better with less time and effort than it would have taken to retrofit the old thing into the new idea, at least sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully. But but I mean, I mean, there are some things that I feel like like a bunch of the UI systems that I felt like, oh, I wish I just would have copied this straight from Bad North instead of writing this. So like the fun <laughs> things, the core algorithms, those are fun to write again and come up with new twists and feel like you get to know them better. But then there are a bunch of really boring stuff that that, that it would be nice to. But, but, it, but it, also, it is also, a, I mean, it, it also kind of depends on how organized and good of a programmer you are. If you are good at writing things that... Um, that works when you reuse them, uh, that makes sense to reuse without making too much overhead. Because sometimes if you write very reusable things, the risk is that you you kind of over-engineer them and you spend too much time thinking about, okay, how do I make sure this thing is future-proof? Um, and if you do that in a bad way, then it's wasted anyway, because it, it won't be future-proof. Um, so I feel like, if, like there are definitely pro well-organized programmers that are very experienced, that are good at writing things from the beginning that are then also reusable, but I, I'm just not there yet myself. I think you're saying the key thing, you know, for those who are listening, who are, who are developers and who are, who are doing in that weird quandary that a lot of people end up in when they haven't finished something or shipped something yet, which is, you know, do I use existing tools and just get something out? Or do I, do I spend the next five years building an engine from scratch? Right. And this is, this is somewhat a false dilemma to a certain degree, because if you try and just build an engine from scratch as your first thing, you'll never finish it. And that's, that's the end of the discussion. Yeah. But to your point, if you are building things with the intent to reuse them, how do you know whether they're future proof? until some kind of project is is stood up and in front of people or at least at the very least playable by you in some meaningful way right there comes yeah. a point where you need to just like complete something i think yeah yeah exactly and it, it is faster to write and because like when you're developing a game you're constantly changing what you're making because you're uh, you realize, oh, what I was doing was not fun but if i change it like this it's fun so like if you build very abstract systems for things they it's, it's quite a high risk that they end up just not being the abstraction that you need it anyway, and then you need to rebuild things. And if, if they're very abstracted and complicated, it, it can be, take a lot of time to, to change them, where if, if they're kind of more straightforward and hacked together, it can be quicker to change them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so Bad North is in C sharp as well. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, both are made in Unity with the C sharp. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Unity, the you know, the the modern uh, game engine world is is endlessly fascinating to me. So, so Unity, you're finding comfortable and and like it like it does it does what you need it to do in terms of the promise of Unity, which is plug in your code and it'll basically work wherever you need it to work. Is are you finding that to be true? Are there other things you like about it? Is it just, is it more just a workflow or pipeline issue for you? Well, I mean, mostly for me now it's because I've been using it for a long time. Um, so I'm just sure. kind of used to it. I should assume I, that's the answer. That's always the answer, right? What's the, what's the best tool? The, the one you know yeah. how to use really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but it, um, Unity was a very good step for me when I, cause I used to work at Ubisoft Massive um, as a technical artist and there I, built like I did a bunch of visual scripting right with uh, nodes so node networks and that was really fun and I learned a lot of the sort of fundamentals of programming yeah sort of the basics of programming that way uh, but then I felt like node-based scripting was getting a bit too limited and I wanted to learn to write like code in text instead um, like proper code basically and uh, Unity was a very good next step then because C Sharp is a very good like language to is a very easy language to learn and Unity is a very good and easy environment to learn it in. Whereas Unreal, which is like Unreal is the other big alternative that um, use uses visual scripting basically like I was already doing at Massive, um, but then you can also code C plus plus for Unreal, but I felt like that was like. Uh, one step too far for me. It was easier to start with Sharp, so that's basically why I started with with Unity. And I, I don't know if Unreal was free back then. I don't remember. This was many years ago. But you you sort of um to to go back to your time at at, at Ubisoft or to, or to stay there for a moment. You had that sort of great experience that I think a lot of people uh, join a AAA studio. Want, you know, ex, if if not expecting, certainly wanting, but that so many people don't have, which is that you got to sort of leave a, a meaningful, tangible you know, fingerprint in terms of UI and, and feel and all that on a AAA game, the, the division, if I recall. Correctly. Oh yeah. 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 That was, I mean, that, that, that was a really good job. And I was, yeah, I was very lucky to uh, like basically, uh, yeah, I worked on the division and I got, I got hired as a, well, I started as an intern as a technical artist. And first I did like some shader work and tools and stuff, but then the UI team picked me up because they were doing this really cool three-dimensional, like a uh, swooshy animated UI um, and kind of my skill set and feel for 3D uh, and, and 3D algorithms and stuff fit really well with that. So they picked me up and one of the, so basically after having only been there for a year where like half of the time as an intern, we released the, um, the first trailer on E3 for the division. And there you had this like uh, image of this really cool holographic map that you open up uh, that I got to make. So it's like in, like after I've only, having only been in games for a year, I got to have like my own like 13 seconds in an E3 trailer. Uh, so that that was, I mean, that that was really lucky and really, really fun. And I got- That's quite a rare thing for, any, for anyone listening yeah. who doesn't know. That's, that's all but unheard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've talked to people who, you know, worked in games for, I don't know, like five years and all their projects have been canceled. Uh, so they have nothing to show for it, nothing they're allowed to show for it which like is quite common position and not very fun to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to build a bunch of uh, like cool animated 3D UI um, for the division. And I had a very good, 
a very good boss, a very good team that kind of let me do my own thing to a very large degree. I, I kind of I, and let me kind of build. So one of my big uh, things was this map. We called it a mega map as opposed to a mini map. So like a big map, a holographic map of the, the game. Um, so I got to do like the shaders and the controls. And uh, I mean, I didn't get to do all the design work, but I got to do a bunch of the design work and a lot of the small design work when I implemented stuff uh, and animations and stuff like that. So it was basically like I got to build my own little mini game inside the big game. Uh, which which was, was really fun. It fit my personality really well as well because I like um, I like doing uh, broad sort of cross disciplinary work where I where I combine the, sh the shader work with animations and with uh, with um, uh, interaction design and stuff like that. So yeah, I had um, uh, a really fun time at Massive uh, doing that thing. The fact that it was specifically the mega map too. I mean, I, I mean that that maps. I'm terribly sorry for the pun. Very neatly onto what you sort of did next. You know, since since Bad North has a sort of zoomed out. You're seeing the whole map feel and Townscaper is about. I mean, not not about maps really, right? About like a an actual place, right? Like there's no there's no representation of the place. You're building the place itself. Yeah. But there's a there's a certain continuity there, right? The idea and you know, and in, in Night Call as well, the idea of building places is definitely a lane that you've sort of uh fallen into. Uh, oh, that I think sure. you're extremely good at. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like uh little city dioramas or yeah, little dioramas is definitely uh has definitely become my thing. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and, and even Morali, you were saying you like the the cross disciplinary stuff. I, I think maybe you could even zoom out on that statement. I, I believe you said before that you know you got into game development in the first place because it's sort of where you can combine math and art, right? Like in yes. a very in a very closely coupled way. Um, do you do you still feel that's true? I mean, or do you feel like you're doing both math and art day oh. in and day out? Looking at Townscape, I'd say you definitely are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I I mean now that I make my own things, I can I can of course like I design my like I design my projects very much around what I like to do and what kind of challenges I want. Yeah, um, which I think is a very good approach for any indie dev to have. Basically, I don't think you should go out and go out and see like what do people. I mean, you should consider what people want, but that shouldn't be your starting point. Your starting point should be what do I like doing. And how would I feel happy spending, what would I be happy spending my days doing? Yeah, and for me, that's clever algorithms, fun math, and uh, art, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's that um, that counterintuitive thing where, you know, we should say there's no real way to know what people are going to, what's going to catch on, right? Like with a large number of people. People spend a lot of money telling you they know exactly that. They don't, right? Yeah. yeah. But in your case, you built something that because you were interested in it, and people have really embraced it. You know, I mean, you, you followed your inclination to say, well, maybe this is a toy as opposed to a game. Yeah. And I mean, when I when I see people talking about Townscaper on Twitter, let's say, some of it is just it's just them showing their beautiful towns and, you know, the things that are obviously good about the game. But I, I see a fair number of comments that are specifically, I love so much that there's no gamey stuff in this. You know what I mean? Like the, the thing that, that you might have initially perhaps thought of as a, as a compromise or, or even like hey, is this a whole idea yet, turn out to be exactly what, what people find, the, you know, exactly the things that people find so relaxing or so refreshing or so specific or special about what you've made. Yeah, and I think that also, I mean, that makes the game appeal to people who don't normally play games or people who, maybe people who used to play games um, or people who don't have time to play games. That it's, like, because playing a game, usually it requires some investment before it starts to become fun. Like you need to learn the rules, you need to fail a few times, you need to go to 
through a weird tutorial or something like that. Um, so it takes some investment and like not a lot of, like a lot of adults don't really have time for that. So giving someone something that's just, just works from the get go. And obviously then it has to be quite simple. Um, I mean, that was, that was kind of the design philosophy behind uh, Bad North as well, though, of course, Timescaper is even simpler in its design that we wanted, wanted things that people could instantly pick up and play and would feel intuitive and nice. Yeah. So it, yeah, I definitely sort of consciously tried to appeal not to um, sort of hardcore gamers or people who play a lot of games, but rather have a very broad appeal to people who don't normally play games and sort of do the compromises that way instead. So when I'm thinking, hmm, I could do this thing, it would be cool, but it would also make everything a bit more complex and harder to understand. I usually refrain from that. Yeah, the the impulse is, is toward minimalism, which I exactly. always find really yeah. interesting, right? Yeah. Both because it, it produces beautiful uh, uh, things in and of itself in their own right, but also because when you take a minimal approach to a genre or, or uh, you know, just, just a kind of thing more broadly, you end up, playing up what's more interesting about it. So, you know, so Bad Bad North is a very minimalist real-time strategy game. It's it's significantly gamier and more complicated than Townscaper, as you say. It yeah. is it is very very recognizably a game as opposed to a toy, but as the genre goes, it's extremely simple, right? There are skill trees, but they're they're quite straightforward. There is sort of a leveling system, but it's low numbers and extremely intuitive. There is movement, but it's I think the tutorial is three instructions, right? Yeah. And, and the zero instructions of Townscaper is is even better, right? You just you start up the game, you click something and something beautiful happens. Then you keep clicking and even more beautiful things happen. That's it. But even, you know, by the by the standard of the real-time strategy genre, Bad North is extremely minimal and it does sort of zoom in on what's interesting about the genre in the first place with, you know, different kinds of units and placement and and timing and all those sorts of things. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, like as an indie developer, like you have to be very small in scope just so that you can finish anything, basically. Um, and you need to control your like if you're just yeah if you're if you're just like two people working on something, you you got to make it small if you're going to ship it. Would you would you say that's something you've gotten better at a few projects in is is, is knowing what size is realistic or, or plausible or achievable? closer to the jump uh yeah but i feel like i kind of knew that going i mean bad north was my first indie game and i feel like i kind of knew that going into bad north uh mostly because i've done these kind of web demos before when i was working at massive because that was that was a really nice way of doing because they felt kind of like i was doing art projects just for myself and i and like a bunch of my friends who did more like a regular 3d work did like art projects on their spare time as well, but they, you know, they resulted in images, whereas mine resulted in um, like actually an interactive demo on the web. Um, and just doing those kind of very small projects, you still, you still kind of need to get into the shipping mindset where when you start to wrap up the project, you start to kind of think about, okay, but then I need some UI and I need some sounds to it. And uh, this thing here doesn't really make sense to the user. So maybe I should cut that bit out and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, those web demos were like shipping a bunch of very small projects, um, but just like, but still polishing them up and like making them into something presentable that people can just pick up and start playing straight away. And that kind of gave me a sense of also, you know, what does it, yeah, what, what does what does it take to actually just get something out the door? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, totally. What does it take to get something out the door? And what is the hard kernel of this? Like you said, if you're you're thinking in terms of really big systems or reusable assets or abstractions more generally, it's really easy to build something that is elegant, beautiful, but not anything on its own, right? That doesn't mean anything except in reference to other equally big systems. That's a really important point, right? That that you were working on things that are discrete, right? Yeah. Not just beautiful in their own right, but complete unto themselves, at least to a certain degree. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good I think that's a good general strategy to make very small but publishable things and then make a couple of those and then sort of make each project a little bit bigger than the last one. And then so like I I'm, I mean I'm I, I don't exactly know what I'm doing after Timescaper, but I mean it's probably gonna be another game and um uh, I'm thinking that game is probably going to be bigger than Townscaper and bigger than Bad North. Probably, I mean, we'll see. But then, then it feels like I know, right? Because managing a long timeline is just—it's—it's it's, it's really hard. Like if you're going to work on something for two or three years, just knowing, okay, how much do I have to be like? How much do I need to have finished and know about the game after year one or year two or something like that? And I feel like after having this experience now with a couple of games and a couple of other projects. Now I feel like maybe I could take on something that should last for like two years or three years or something like that. But I definitely shouldn't have done that, yeah, like three years ago. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, what you're saying makes complete sense because, you know, as I've, I've you know, when I played Bad North, I didn't get the impression that the big parts were missing. I didn't see the ghosts of other mechanics or anything, <laughs> nor have I ever heard, uh, uh, you know, you or anybody say, well, you know, well, ba Bad North was way bigger before, right? It used to, it used to have X, Y, and Z, and we took that out partway through development. It does seem like the, the vision was relatively confident. Yeah, I mean, th there um, were a few things that we removed, but, and also a few things that we added, but I mean, that's always going to be the case. Exactly, exactly. But but understanding what's what you can add without, you know, <laughs> understanding how to add a month to the timeline as opposed to adding eight years to the timeline, yeah. as as some people sort of do sometimes. Yeah. I talked to uh, to William Cheer a while ago, who made who made a Manifold Garden, and that game mm. had a, a really really it was one of those games with a very long development cycle. Yeah, that took a long time. And I remember, yeah, how long was that? I remember seeing images from ages ago. Yeah, I think it was about seven years total. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a very long time. It looks absolutely gorgeous. That game. It's intensely gorgeous. Yeah, it's the same, and it's it's uh, Martin Crawley did the sound for it, he, and he did the sound for Bad North as well. Oh, I I, I should have made that connection, yeah, but yes, he exactly. And they the sound to basically all indie games in Scandinavia. So yeah, but that's not Scandinavian. <laughs> it's, that's a, an, it's, it's a good an Englishman the guy making that one, right? American, I believe, but yeah, not Scandinavian. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a global, it's a global confab of people, yeah. but 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 it's interesting because there is sort of that sound. Like I almost think of it as like Scandinavian sound design, where everything sort of sounds. Um, it, it's just got this quality of like footsteps on materials that don't exist. If yeah. that makes sense, like some of the UI sounds in Bad North yeah. are very much. That's like all that Martin thing. making mouth sounds. So like when you're playing <laughs> Scandinavian indie games, you're you're listening to Martin making mouth sounds. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of it like that's amazing in its own right. And I also can't think of a better metaphor for how organic and personal that it makes everything feel. You know what I mean? It's almost it's almost like, you know, it's it's acapella uh, yeah, sound yeah, design. Yeah. It really makes you feel like this is something homemade as opposed to the sort of like uh, cold, distant. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. But like the, the very sort of removed artificial robotic sound design of a lot of big AAA games. Like, again, just like we're talking like, like low level soundscape UI noises. It just, it, it, it's intimate. I don't know a better word for it than that. Uh, in a way that, that immediately draws you in and makes you pay attention and reminds you people made this, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
But I was just going to say, you know, uh, William Chu, when he was talking about Manifold Garden, or uh, or uh, I just talked to Nils Denikin as well about Amutasione, which is a game that had, I think, a 10 or 11 year development cycle. Oh, yeah, I listened to that podcast. That was very interesting. And I, I think oh, I thank know you. some people on the Gutifu group as well now, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And then they had, you know, because it was a long development cycle, they had a rotating team and like there were people who worked on the game for a while, but not through the, the whole cycle. But something that both Nils and, 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 and Williams said was that they didn't really know what the game was until, you know, the last year or two mm. of development <laughs> in some ways. Right. Mm. I think I think, you know, things about the vision of Mutazione were, were very much in place from the very beginning, from like 2009. But, you know, there's there's a sense in which it's just a question of how quickly you get to what it is you're trying to make. And and it's possible that there are kinds of work that do require those really long gestation periods. Yeah. It's not that you have to work on it full time for a decade or whatever, but you have to sort of let it sit in the back of your head to figure out what it is. I think part of the skill you have is, is like you were saying, knowing what the, the most interesting hook or the hard kernel is in the idea pretty early, yeah. right? And it's... But I mean, partly I feel like I'm on this long-term development journey as well it's just that i try and cut out little snippets on it and be like okay this little part let's just make this into something ship this and then i keep working on this big project or procedural generation and then like okay maybe this can be a game too let's make that a game and then like yeah so it's like i'm making this very big thing but i just like release it in parcels to people right yeah, totally. That's interesting. Yeah, you're, you're you are sort of working on one giant game, but yeah. people get to people get to enjoy touching just the foot of the elephant or something. Yeah, exactly. Rather than waiting yeah. for a magnum opus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's some wisdom in that, I yeah. think, for sure. Is is procedural generation still sort of like one of the main things that gets you up in the morning? Because it's something sort of common to a lot of your projects. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yes, I'd very much say so. Yeah, um, because it is that perfect in like intersection between art and math and it yeah and it makes it also so that because then i can um, kind of have my project talk back to me kind of like i make some things for the project and then the project makes some things for me and then i make some things for the project and then it makes some things for me um i really like that that loop of like building some random things sending it into the project and then generating something and like oh that looks interesting maybe i could play with, with that and yeah um, I like I, I quite like that aspect rather than sort of authoring everything uh, uh, manually myself, so I know exactly where everything is. Uh, I like being surprised by my own by my own creations, basically. <laughs> no, that's that's a beautiful way to put it, and I think um, it is sort of the purest example of math and art together, right? Because you're you're doing that almost like sci-fi singularity concept of of building a machine that makes art, yeah, right. And the, the, there is art; it's it, it, of course itself in in creating the machine, but then, like you said, you can be surprised. It it feels collaborative, you know, yeah. like like I said, like that conversation between the developer and what they've developed and the person interacting with it is so evident in townscaper and like what the role of each of those entities is it is like like it, it's again it's stuff that exists whenever procedural generation is on the table but it's not usually foregrounded that's part of what i think an attentive player user uh, uh, uh you know toy enjoyer whatever <laughs> word you want to use in townscaper gets out of it you know yeah yeah uh and i think and i think also my particular because i have a particular brand of procedural generation i'd say as well which is very much based on little handcrafted pieces. Um, so it it is a very artistic approach to procedural generation, I'd say. I think, I think a lot of people doing procedural generation are more programmers than artists usually. Um, 
So they tend to build very advanced systems, but then the results, like sometimes, can, yeah, they, I mean, they can look quite procedurally generated. Uh, whereas I, I, I try and give kind of an, an uh, a, I try and make sure I have the balance between like handcrafted little things, because there are some things that um, are much easier to do handcrafted, and there are some things that are that are much easier to do procedurally, and kind of combining them in the right way, way where it feels you feel like there is a, a, a yeah, like some 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 manual craftsmanship in there as well uh, is important to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the goal is not so much to hide the the, the machine elements, but to sort of blend, right? Exactly. Like, like I, yeah, I invoked yeah. I invoked the singularity, and I sort of meant it, right? Yeah. Like there's there's a sense in which we are definitely past the singularity, <laughs> and now it's just a question of making the interaction more and more seamless. Yeah. But you know, procedural generation is machine intelligence and human intelligence, machine art making and human art making working together. You know, inescapably, that's what you're looking at when you look at something procedural, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. I, I I think um I think that's what people like about it. Whether they're like I, I guess I'm a firm believer that there are those sorts of those sorts of like grand ideas are things that are in the backs of people's heads, even if they wouldn't tell you that's what they like about a thing. Like when someone is awed by <laughs> by a procedurally generated place, I feel like that's part of it. You know the the it, it because because so much of the way we interact with technology on a day to day basis loses awe it becomes you know just like oh why isn't this thing working or drudgery in one way or another i feel like you know something like townscaper sort of like revives our sense of wonder when interacting with a piece of technology in a, in a way that i think is is healthy and, oh, and nice. beautiful especially yeah, I, right now while we're, all, while we're all stuck inside yeah i uh, i mean i think it's partly like a very big part of but like a big part of my sort of theory of beauty and theory of awe is that you want things that are that you understand a bit but not really, right? You want, I mean, and that, that's, I mean, that's what music is like, right? You get uh, a bunch of patterns. Mm. So you like, you get the melody and you kind of know what's coming next, but then there's a twist to it and then it changes a bit and then it changes a bit. So there's like and a nice image is usually like that as well. You look at it, it's beautiful. It feels coherent. And then you keep looking and then like small details appear and you're like, oh, and there's that thing and there's that thing. And nice architecture is like that as well. Like uh, it's uh, usually symmetrical and there's all kinds of patterns and like it, it, first you see it and there's a beautiful hole to it and then you keep looking at it and you see nice little surprises and details everywhere. And I think that's nice procedural generation is like that as well. You see that there's kind of a pattern there and you think you understand what the uh, algorithm is, but then there's a twist to it. And like, oh, I didn't know it could do that. Oh, but what happens if I do this? Oh, I didn't know it would do that then. Uh, so it's this kind of it, it's not it's not random and it's not and you don't you feel like there is a pattern there and you kind of understand it but you don't fully understand it and then you have fun playing with it to kind of try and figure it out and be continuously surprised by it. Yeah, yeah. Surprise is a, is a very good way to frame it, right? The the idea that oh I didn't know it would do that. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> that, like, but that kind of the, that element of surprise also hinges on you having a like you think you know what it's going to do. But then it kind of, right. but then it does something slightly different that still makes sense, right? So if it's just random, then it just feels like it, you're not really surprised. You're just like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, but, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and that's exactly what good game design is as well, right? You, you um, make the player learn how to play the game through like repetitive things, but then you send in a twist, and then you like use those same elements you've used before, but you use them in a new way and together with something else, and then yeah, so it's like. 
it's it's constant like giving people patterns to learn and then breaking the patterns a bit. I think that's a lot of what um, beauty and fun and awe uh, is about. Like you see something that you feel is understandable uh, and that there are patterns to it and you kind of kind of know the patterns, but they still keep surprising you. I, th- I think when people like like some there's there's an impulse in art to just go for pure uncut subversion of expectations yeah, I don't, and yeah. i think people forget it it doesn't work unless you establish expectations exactly, exactly. right that part has to be interesting too yeah, yeah. yeah and if you just keep like not delivering on the expectations then you you lose the ability to establish expectations as well yeah Right, it starts to feel like randomness, or just like a troll, or it, it starts to feel like the contract with the player either either is broken or, or never got established in the first place. Right, if you're gonna if you're gonna alter the deal, <laughs> the deal has to have been clear exactly. in the first place. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. But if the deal is like if you entirely stick to the deal, then it's boring, right? So you got to be. Right. I mean, that's what being playful <laughs> right. is kind of. You establish rules, but then you kind of break them a bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally, totally. When the when the when the magic circle, such as it is, that 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 idea has fallen out of favor, and it's and it's flawed, but I still think it's useful, right? When the when the possibility space, let's say that, turns out to be bigger than you thought it exactly. was, yeah. that's always really compelling. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, uh, the thing that's next that that will be bigger than Townscape or possibly bigger than Bad North. Is it too early to talk about it in any more detail than that, or or is there is there something to be said about like, you know, <laughs> in what way it might use procedural generation, uh, what genre it might fit into? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's like very that. speculative at this point. I don't really know what it is. I have a bunch of different ideas, uh, and I'm not entirely sure which of them I'm going to pick up. Um, but it's also going to be. Um, almost a year before I can really start a new project properly, I think, because I'm on part-time paternity leave now, and then in the spring I will be on full-time paternity leave, uh, probably until the kid starts daycare, I don't know, sometime in the fall or something like that. So I won't really have time to start working on anything properly uh, for quite some time. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I do have a bunch of ideas. It might be some kind of combination between Townscaper and Bad North, possibly, but it might be something completely different. Uh, I usually, like I get really obsessed with ideas about video games and then I go and think about them for like a couple of weeks and then I start thinking about another idea for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. So right now I have an idea I'm obsessed with that is kind of a combination of Bad North and Townscaper and we'll see if that's the one I'm obsessed with in like a year. That's very fair. And I, I totally understand that, you know, you don't want to say it in too much detail because then there'll be at the very least three people on Twitter who who will never leave you alone about this one idea yeah. that they well, have now decided is the thing they're looking forward yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't really mind that. It's mostly that I don't really know what it's going to be. Uh, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Because yeah. I, I don't feel like I have an obligation towards people who get those kind of expectations. Right. I mean, they can pester me all they want. <laughs> sure. I mean, what are they going to do about it? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've definitely spoken to developers who are who are bothered by that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think because sometimes that enthusiasm supersedes or exists instead of enthusiasm about the thing they're actually making. Oh, for sure. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But fair enough. It's just it's yeah. just pestering. You I mean, that's a big, gonna make what that's you're going to make in general, like when you make things for a general public on the Internet where there's so many people, there's always going to be people with the that, like expect something slightly different or take things slightly the wrong way or stuff like that. And I mean, some degree of that, you're just going to have to ignore. Like there's, there's a lot of people with weird opinions about what you're doing, weird expectations and stuff like that. And 
Uh, yeah. Uh, though, I mean, I think I'm quite lucky with the project that I've been doing that I have had a very, very nice audience and just the occasional oddball with like weird uh, that feel I don't know, fronted for some weird reason or something like that. But it really hasn't sure, been sure. a lot of that. Sure. I mean, it's it's also, um, I mean, again, we were talking about, you know, knowing that games are made by humans, which is, which is, I think, I think something more people are starting to understand. Uh, but it's, you know, if you, if you only interact with AAA games, it's a thing that, that sort of, uh, you've been intentionally led to forget. Games are supposed to come from somewhere. They just appear to you and they're whatever you want them to be. And each one is the best one ever, whatever. The things you make are, are so specifically the work of a person or a few people that it's impossible to sort of take that attitude, right? Like, even if someone's not on board, it's not that they're demanding you serve them like a giant corporation. It's just, you know, they're into it or they're not. It's 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 kind of as, as simple as that. Yeah. And there's a beauty yeah. to that. And it also helps a lot that Townscaper is very cheap. Uh, so like, <laughs> Sure, no, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so people don't feel... Because, I mean, like, if you're, I don't know, like, 17 years old and you saved up to buy a AAA game for... What do they cost these days? Do they cost seventy bucks or something like that? Uh, some of the some next gen games like PS Five games are, are going for seventy. Sixty is still the the like the main price point in the US all right, anyway. All right. And it doesn't live up to your expectations. I mean, you know, I can see how you feel quite cheated. Uh, but with Townscaper, I mean, you you pay almost nothing for it, and then if you notice that you don't like it within an hour, because like within an hour you've seen all there is to see, kind of, uh, you can refund it very easily. So I think like people. Yeah, I don't get a lot of people feeling cheated for, yeah, what is it called? Six bucks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, if you can't get six bucks of fun out of it, to your point, you'll know that within an exactly. hour. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, um, do you think at all about, um, I mean, like Townscaper is a small thing with a small price tag that makes all the sense in the world. But I know there are a lot of uh, independent developers, indie developers who get nervous about sort of the the race to the bottom nature of indie pricing. That you know, when when Hades comes out for twenty five bucks or whatever it was, people bristle at that, even though that game is kind of huge. Mm. Um, like as you as you think about making something bigger, it's probably way too early to think about like what the price will yeah. be or whatever. But in a more general sense, do you think about sort of the way people value indie games. I find it interesting because there are certainly indie games I've gotten not just more time, you know, put into them, but got gotten more out of in terms of like art and beauty and awe yeah. than $60 AAA games, certainly. Yeah. But there's this weird sense of, uh, of, of proportional value that, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's something you think about. It's not too much. I try and not no, I don't pay too much attention to those kind of uh, discussions at all, basically. Um, for Townscaper, I had to do the pricing because it was only me to do the pricing. But for Bad North, sure. I stayed mostly <laughs> entirely out of those discussions. Um, that was more of a publisher decision. Yeah, well, uh, Richard, the other sort of guy on the core development team, he had a bunch of opinions and uh, theories about that, that he talked a lot with. The, and I mean, so it's mostly between him and the publisher. And I just kind of left it to him because I think I mostly just think those things are quite boring. Um, I, I'm glad <laughs> sure. I'm glad some people don't so that someone can decide what things should cost. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I basically, I don't know. Uh, but I, I mean, I did feel for Townscaper that it was important to basically keep... Um, set the expectations quite low because it's not a proper game uh because it's just a toy kind of thing um and because i'm not going to be keeping like pushing a ton of updates for it i mean i just pushed a pretty big update but I'm, i mean there's not going to be like people have all kinds of things they would like to see in the game most of them are not going to be in the game um 
So for a very small sure. price tag, I just felt like, okay, no one's like, no one has the right to complain now. <laughs> the game's cheap. I, yeah, yeah. I get the sense that, um, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to use Steam Early Access, of course, but I get the sense that you used it in almost the, um, almost the sense that it was like originally, originally, in, in my head anyway, built for, which is I have something, it is relatively small, but it is compelling on its own. You're going to feel like you got, you know, some kind of complete experience if you buy it. There's going to be more, but I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> Once people get their hands on it, I'll know what additional stuff there could or should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, like is that, you, you feel like you've, you've more or less figured out what was missing from Townscaper in terms of what it what its destiny was or what it wants to be? Uh, I mean, I think there are a ton of things missing that, you know, that would make it a more compelling game that probably would sell more. But there's not a lot of those things that I will have time to add to it. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. So no, for me, the early access thing was a big part of it was just that, um, like, since I don't have a big QA team for this, I mean, I don't have any QA team at all for this thing. I just kind of it felt like a way that I could release it, but I would still have an excuse if there's still bugs in it. Uh, and I could keep changing it a bit. <laughs> sure. and okay, maybe maybe that's the original, original yeah, thing about exactly. early access. Yes. <laughs> and if I would do some change that would, I don't know, like break people's saves, that would not be good, but it would be acceptable. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I'm sure people get extremely uh, attached to their towns. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. If it, you know, early on, you know, like it's, it'd be hard to recreate something exactly the same way twice, yeah. but that's sort of part of the appeal, right? Like yeah. you, that you can't quite step in the same river twice or what have you. Yeah. Uh, there is sort of that, that element again, not of chaos, but of, but of wonk and variation and density. Uh, that means, you know, like if, if my town disappeared tomorrow, I'd be sad, but I, I would, I would rise and build a new one. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a really special thing, and and I I feel like I feel like toy is not quite maybe toy is the right word. Maybe we just need to like increase the value in people's minds of the word toy. Maybe we need to yeah. maybe we need to we need more toys. It's it's know? a toy like, in the um, way that you play with it, but you need to make up the rules. Kind of, I mean, a game has rules, yeah, it has yeah. win condition, but a toy doesn't. Right, a physical toy that you play with. Uh, like a, a child's toy, you make the rules yourself and you imagine, you make up your own story about what you're up to when you're playing with it. So I think in that way, it's a toy. Yeah. yeah. There's something to that too, because I mean, there, there's even those, uh, there's a handful of cognitive studies about how if you if you give people extrinsic rewards, it actually, you know, not just decreases their motivation to do the task over time, but can decrease the degree to which they're enjoying intrinsic rewards. Right. right? Like yeah. you can actually you actually um there's there's like a study I can link to it about um, you know, kids who were just told to draw something and 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 some of you know, half of them I suppose were given a reward for doing so and half of them weren't. And then the kids who were given a reward stopped drawing or drew less. Because yes, then it's worked. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Well, you've you've incentivized it. I I think yeah. that's something. Like I th I think maybe in general we're too quick to add those kinds of motivating factors, yes. the like the the Skinner box stuff to cast it negatively in games, because yeah. it's it's not just that that stuff's not always necessary. It's that it, or even just that it's refreshing when it's not there. It can actually take away <laughs> from what was interesting in the first. Yeah, place. I think so. I was sort of early on in Townscaper. I was thinking about hmm, should should I add some small game element to this? Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of and people suggest all kinds of things like, oh, what if you need to I don't know build a town with um, just a small amount of blocks or and then you unlock more blocks or you get rated on how beautiful the town is or something like that or you need to build something with five gardens or something like that 
But mm -hmm. I kind of felt like, first of all, those are, if it's going to be something small like that, it's not going to be a very fun game. Like just like satisfying those goals is just not going to be fun. It's not going to be a complex, fun game. Uh, and, but if, if you have those kind of things, then people will work to satisfy those constraints rather than like just playing with it and making something beautiful, right? If I make an algorithm to judge how beautiful your town is, you're going to build something to satisfy the algorithm rather than to satisfy your own sense of beauty. So, I mean, I feel like if you would, you could definitely put like a big proper like city building game on top of Townscaper and that would be good, but that would be a huge thing to build. Uh, so I think rather than putting a very small, not very fun game on top of Townscaper, it was better to just not put any game on top of it. <laughs> right. Totally. You know, to have a very consummate toy as yeah. opposed to a half-assed game. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think also, you know, if, they, if there were a challenge, you know, like build build a tower X amount high supportive or whatever, like build three gardens, like you said, then some of the, some of the stuff that is surprise becomes frustration yeah yes. right like the way the way the way townscaper is now when something unexpected happens it's like oh you know like it's it's a moment of you know maybe that isn't what you wanted and you can always hit undo but but it's it's allowed to to be something you can then you know sort of improvise with yeah. whereas if it were blocking your progress that wouldn't feel good exactly. you know and yeah. like a just a just a basic sort of monkey brain level yes. you know for sure yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because as it stands it very very definitively feels good like I, I feel like that's that's it's it's reason for existing is to make your brain feel good yeah 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 that's a big important part of it i really like making those kind of uh like little feedback uh animations and stuff like it's, it's, uh, shooing out little bricks when you build and like wobbling and stuff like that it's fun to make architecture wobble because it, it really shouldn't yeah, and again, the sound, the, the you know, the, 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 the sound of a block getting put down has that same sort of organic feel we were talking about. I don't know if it's you making noises with your mouth in the grand tradition of Scandinavian game design, but... It's, uh, no, it's strangers on the internet making noises with their... I, like, the sound design is very basic, where I just got a bunch of things from freesound.org and then remixed oh, them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I, a big part of the sound, though, I think, is I'm pitching things up and down a bit when you're... So when you're building, it, like, it's like you're making a melody so it's like blah 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 stuff like that uh and i think clicking the button yeah so it's like slight pitch variations just makes everything feel more more fun kind of when it makes you it makes it feel good to build quickly yeah exactly because it's it's so easy to be like very very deliberate which is which is totally fine but but maybe prevents some of the the wonk or some of the uh the quick joy of how you know just how how rapidly a town can pop up so having like a a scale play makes you feel like oh yes the game wants me to just just like build a row of blocks or to build up really quickly or something exactly yeah and i actually just recently added in the last update i didn't really publicize that but like now, if you hold Control Z, it will start undoing really, really fast. So we go like blah 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 blah. Like if you would press backspace in a, in a word mm. processor or something like that. And that's, I mean, that's mostly just because it's fun. You build something big, and then you're like, okay, what does it look like if I undo the entire thing, and then just see it coming apart house by house, like blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> and then let's rebuild it. Yeah. And then you press redo, just blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, like, what what is um what you know one third of the joy of building something big out of blocks or Legos or whatever is knocking it over. Oh yeah, right? yeah. like that. Yeah, my, yeah. My my daughter is just figuring out that game. We were playing that 
yesterday where I was building little towers and then she tore them down. And then I started building them in like more difficult places to reach. Uh, like she's just kind of starting to <laughs> learn to stand up now. So like putting them on chairs or in the sofa. So she needed to kind of make her way over there to knock it over. <laughs> That's there's there's so much more traditional progression and game design in that than there is in Townscaper. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I play more advanced games Difficulty with my curves. daughter than, than I, I sell for money. Yes. <laughs> There's, there's something to be said for that. I mean, that's, that's such a great example though, of like, you know, of, of, of keeping the rewards intrinsic, right? Like, like, like that's a difficulty curve that is very organic yeah, and yeah. like comes out of wanting the task itself to be more joyful. Yeah. I think, I, I, yeah, I think, um, just spending time with, with kids r reminds you about like certain pure aspects of play that it's easy to forget when you're sort of more focused on game design, best practices, yeah, and more yeah. and especially things. very small children. Cause you need to, yeah. you need to make a very simple games for them and things that you wouldn't really recognize like sometimes they have to be so simple that you don't even really recognize them as games right so it's just following a pattern for example like the classic game of like you give her the spoon she gives you the spoon you give her the spoon she gives you the spoon <laughs> yeah completely and then you kind of like you give it but then you don't really give it but then you give it and then yeah uh just like very simple patterns and very minor twists and they think it's hilarious yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. again that thing about like subverting expectations right just like because I, I sometimes little kids when you don't when you almost give the spoon and don't give it yeah. it's actually hilarious to yeah, them yeah, right like it's yeah. it's actually it's it, there's something like really joyful about that slight variation yeah, yeah. but I, it I is think. just a very simple version of regular game design or regular art it's like yeah you sure you build up expectations and then you mostly deliver but sometimes you kind of break it yeah yeah, yeah, totally. But the 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 foreground of of variation only makes sense against a background of, of uh, exactly. you know a baseline that was interesting in the first yes. place. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I uh, I I really enjoyed this. I hope you did as well. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It's um. This is usually the part where I would ask if I can use some music from the game, but there sort of there sort Gosh, of no uh, isn't any, is there? No, no. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll pick something. I'll pick something interesting. Yeah, pick something um, cool. but. Yeah, I didn't want to, I'll, I'll tell you why there's no music. I didn't want to add music because it feels like Townscaper is something you're toying with while doing something else, while listening mm. to some other music or listening to a podcast or like while Completely. something is loading, while your code's compiling or, or something like that. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted it to be a game that fits like being just in a windowed mode on the second screen. Sure. Yeah, that there is sound, but there's no background. Yeah, music. yeah. So you can just like, very deliberate choice, clearly. Like, yeah. Around and then move back to whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Um, well, so okay, so I won't be using any music from the game since there isn't any. Yeah. But yeah, one, well, actually, one other thing. Would you mind just saying your name so I can do my very best to pronounce it correctly? Sure. It's uh, Oscar Stahlberg. Is how I okay. usually say it in English. In Swedish, it would be uh, Oscar Stolberg. But uh, okay, but just Stahlberg is, is good. Is perfectly okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll attempt to pronounce it correctly, ah, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, don't get me don't get me wrong. I will I will probably mess it up because because I'm an American and I have a, I have a, a tin ear for this kind of stuff. But you know, I, I I will make a good faith attempt to pronounce your name the way you pronounce all right, it. All right, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
I really like your like. We'll see about that. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was very funny because I I, I I same thing with with Nils with uh, Nils Denikin. He you know he yeah he was like oh yeah you pronounced that pretty well. I was like pretty good for an American or like actually good. He was like I mean pretty good for an American. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Well then, thank you one more time. Yeah. Um, and have a, have a really good one. Yeah. You too. Cool. Cool. All right. Bye then. Have a good one. And that's the show. You can get Townscaper on Steam right now for six stinking dollars. Highly recommended. I think it's quite good. You can also get Bad North on PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. That, in my humble opinion, is also quite good. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with human augmentation from Francis Michelle Cannon and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from The Noun Project. You can find the show wherever podcasts are a thing, and you can support it, if you are able and inclined to do so, at patreon.com slash etao. Thanks enormously to our current patrons, with a very special thanks to the mysterious Ian Kay, Lucas Cosin, and Darth Raptora. You can find our complete podcast archive at etaopod.com, and that along with our videos, articles, and what have you at etao.blog. Like it's like you're making a melody, so it's like blah 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 blah